When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Media Matters here on Anfield Index Pro, your dedicated spot for all things Liverpool Football Club. I'm Eddie Gibbs, pinch hitting here for Dave Davis this week, who's currently off, enjoying a well-earned holiday. Now, I'm sure some of you might be scratching your heads thinking, Eddie who? It's true. I've not been podcasting regularly for quite a spell, but I'm still hugely involved behind the scenes and delighted to be stepping up to the mic today. Let's hope neither I nor the mic are too dusty up top. So joining me today is a voice you'll all be well acquainted with by now. Yes, it's the esteemed Liverpool reporter, David Lynch, and he's here once again to share his insights, which tend to be sharper than a Trent Alexander Arnold Cross at times. So whether you're here for the scoop on the Burnley win, the latest on Liverpool squad tales, or you're wondering if Zabi is indeed destined to be the next king, then we should have you covered. To our new listeners, a warm welcome. To our regulars, it's great to have you back. This is Media Matter. So let's dive straight in with David Lynch. Welcome back, David. Hello, yeah, good, good to be back and, and good, good to be on a win. Because if you'd have come in after the Arsenal defeat, then we would have been questioning whether we needed to get Dave straight back in. <laughs> oh, I was saying to your fair just before. I'm so glad that in some ways that that winning streak that you guys had ended before me. Because you told me a couple of weeks ago this would be happening, and it was like, oh, I couldn't imagine coming in and uh, breaking your run, and it would be like that would be the end of me. I would never be able to show up on on a podcast again. <laughs> so let's start with that game uh, on Saturday. I was saying to, again to you before, uh, you had some sunshine. I had a bit of a spring feel at Anfield. Obviously, that record crowd. Uh, I think it just fell short of sixty thousand in the end uh, on the official attendance. But what were your thoughts on both the stadium and some initial thoughts on the game? Yeah, I mean, great, great to see it very, very close to to full now. Not not too far to go till they get to that full capacity. I think there's a couple of areas they've got to just fill in, and then that that will they will they'll reach the full capacity. But um, yeah, a, a big step because I mean, just visually, I think more than anything, I mean, the, the noise maybe four thousand fans, maybe you don't notice that so much, but I think to look at it and see it looking full, it just is a, a very you know different sight really, and. And sort of yeah, it looks spectacular. Just incredible work, really. The owners have done with the with the new stands, isn't it? And 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 you're looking at Anfield now, and it particularly feels kind of important because you know this is Jurgen. We know it's his last season now, and he's been a big part of this development that's taken place as the club of a whole as a whole in terms of the steps taken forward. So you know he's leaving a great team on the pitch, but also the the, the work that's gone on behind the scenes and off the pitch in terms of those stands as well. And um, that feels like it's all part of Jurgen's legacy because he's had to work through that, the, you know, the, those stands being built as well. So 
uh, yeah, it, it looked absolutely incredible. And um, yeah, in terms of the performance, I thought uh, a good win in the end. I thought, you know, very patchy first half because I kind of thought, I don't know if you were sort of similar to me coming into this, is sort of thinking off the back of the Arsenal result, okay, Burnley at home next. Okay, let's put a marker down. Let's absolutely thrash these and and, and that would be a great way to bounce back. But that first half was really, really tricky um, and, and difficult. And I thought, but Liverpool showed again that they've got the, the, the sort of the grit, haven't they, as well as the quality to, to get through any sort of test and, and they come through with another win. And yes, not a perfect performance, but I think, you know, sometimes they are as good as a, a, a really resounding win at times because, you you know, to show you can win in different ways and find solutions to problems that are being put to you. And here's another win that, that sort of showcased that element of Liverpool. Where I had my fear was when it came out in the press conference that there was a bit of flu and sickness around the camp because even though Klopp did that press conference on, was it Thursday he did that? Or, and it was it was a feeling that, well, that was 24 hours. What will happen in the next 24 hours on how quickly these flus can spread and things like that? And you really don't know. And even the club probably don't know who's all got underlying symptoms and things like that that might be affecting their stamina, that might be affecting their fitness. And that was my big fear. And at half time, I was really concerned that that may continue into the second half, that sort of sluggishness. No one was really, no one really looked on it or up for it even the crowd considering it was a record crowd now I know it's a 3pm and they are, tend to be the trip the, the Saturday the sa- early Saturday kickoffs not under the lights they tend to be the games where Anfield if anything can be criticised for perhaps not being up for it and the fixture as well you're playing you're playing with expectation that you're going to roll these guys over and that never looked like being the case at any point in that first half you couldn't have said that Burnley were the bottom team in the league uh, there they didn't just show up to be to be rolled over and have their tummies tickled it was uh, it was very much that they they set their stall out to it was it I mean they, they didn't play the way that everyone said this playing out from the back. That that didn't happen. Trafford was going long as soon as he could they played much more direct, much more like a Daesh Burnley than a than a company Burnley, if you like. So I, I listened to some of our podcasts, even with uh, Natalie Bromley, the Burnley fan before the game, and she said she very much expected Burnley to only play that way because they only play what so, so were you surprised at all by their approach, what what Burnley did? Yeah, I thought I thought they kind of well. You, you have to say, particularly on the basis of that first half performance, that they got that right is to to try and go along and reduce Liverpool's pressing opportunities. Because as we say, the build up to the game was sort of dominated by the idea that Liverpool were going to want to come out all guns blazing. The, the press would be right up there, and they tried to make it difficult for Burnley. And Burnley would give them loads of opportunities to turn the ball over, get the crowd going, and then that would really help Liverpool to go on and you know hopefully get a, a big win. But it because they were going long, they weren't given those opportunities and it was causing, because Liverpool had sort of, they'd been forced into a few changes by the flu that had been going through the squad and also other areas with injuries. They weren't quite at the fluent best, so when you ended up with a little bit of a chaotic game at times and and even if your centre-backs were winning aerial duels, which Liverpool's were, there's still the aftermath of that. Second balls are there to be grabbed and I thought Burnley did quite well in terms of swarming around and grabbing those and that, it just caused discomfort for Liverpool because I don't think it was the game they were expecting at all and Burnley did really well at disrupting the build-up as well. So it just made it really difficult for Liverpool. But again, like I say, you know, second half, those half times, they always sort of, you know, Jürgen's been an absolute master of that this season. But yeah, he has generally at Liverpool, but he, it's been really pronounced this season is showing them where the spaces are to play, showing them where they need to clean up in terms of stopping Burnley getting balls into dangerous areas. And, and, and he was much improved in the second half, even though Burnley had a couple of chances that second half. I thought they were more out of the blue than rather in keeping with the flow of the game at that point. Whereas in the first half, some of the opportunities they had were, you know, were basically merit, merited on the basis of the performance. So, 
uh, yeah, it, it was. It was a tricky one, and and and, and sort of you know testament to the quality of side really to to come through what was a a different test from maybe what they were expecting. Yeah, yeah, good analysis. So, one thing that I kind looking at all the post match content and all the other shows and podcasts that came out there. There seemed to be a lot of division over the Liverpool's man of the match from this. I've heard shouts for Curtis Jones. I've heard shouts for Watarendo, for Jarrell Kwanzaa, for Harvey Elliott. Uh, but who who was a standout performer for you? Who would have you given your man of the match to? I think kind of difficult to look past Harvey on the basis. If you come off the bench at, at halftime with the game at 1-1 and you win it 3-1, could see a two assists, assists from that player, then it, it's, it's difficult to look beyond him, really. I think, you know... I thought he should have started the game, to be honest. I thought, you know, Liverpool already had an issue on that that right-hand side of midfield, didn't he, in terms of, um, you know, Sobberslai we knew wasn't going to be there. Obviously, Gravenberg, as Jürgen revealed after the match, would uh, had a bit of an issue anyway, so he didn't really want to bring him in. Um, and I also thought Gravenberg at Arsenal sort of, he didn't play that well anyway. So I thought I thought that right hand side was of the, the, the central three was was maybe up for grabs and that Harvey, because he'd been playing well this season, would maybe be the one to come in. And it also kind of talking about that midfield, I actually thought what he did for himself really, Jurgen, in, in, in putting McAllister there initially was cause more disruption than was necessary. I, I knew I know you have Endo back and he, he played really well before he left, but I just thought McAllister played so well in the six. And then you move him into that sort of right hand side. It, it didn't work for me really. I, yeah. I thought I, I know I'm going off the off the topic here, but I, just on McAllister, I actually want to talk about that a little bit. I, I kind of I'm not a massive fan of him in that advanced role because I just think he sees so little of the ball. I mean, he was what was it, 27 touches in the first half, so only Kelleher and Darwin Nunes had fewer, which is absolutely opposite of what we're used to in most Liverpool games this season. He is usually the one who touches the ball the most. Uh, or, or is up there with the centre halves at least, and so he just struggles. To, and, and even the second half, he, he actually played better and sort of had more influence on the game. But he still only takes thirty-three touches, and I think a player of that quality who, when he's in the eights, I, I always feel like it's it's too squeezed there, and he doesn't have the physical profile to make space for himself. Whereas in the six, you just get all of his quality on the ball and, and his ability to fire the ball through the lines and get Liverpool on the front foot. And, and I really thought that even throughout, you know, even though I thought Endo in the second half maybe played he played much better than he did in the first, and, and they had a good game in the end. I still think McAllister in the sixth for me is is something I really like and something that Liverpool kind of missed throughout the game. So that's a that's a decision for for the managers to make going forward, I guess. But um, yeah, so just, that was just totally off topic there. But to yeah, to to go back to to Harvey, I thought you know, like I say, I thought you maybe should have should have started in that that right hand side of midfield role and. Um, and, and, and but to to come on and, and do what he did, you know, maybe if he keeps doing this off the bench, then surely he's got to be in contention for more starts because he's actually probably made fewer than than people think this season. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, and and when he does start, he does seem to come off early as well. So it's a bit of a it's a bit of a, a mirror there, isn't there? It's like if he starts, he goes off early. If he doesn't start, he comes on. He comes on as a sub. He's he's very much the super sub at the moment. It's uh, I mean, we saw that obviously at Crystal Palace earlier in the season as well. Just to go back to your McAllister point, obviously the the one thing that we saw at Brighton was he played in that double pivot with Caicedo, which was the way Brighton played. Now Liverpool don't play that way. It's not a Klopp system to, to have that double pivot, but maybe with Klopp changing with whatever's going to come, maybe that will be part of the thought process is to have McAllister the deeper, but have a, a proper defensive midfielder doing some of that donkey work that, I, I mean, I, I I don't ever envisage Klopp starting Endo and McAllister as a double pivot. I just don't see it happening, but I would have liked to have seen that at least for a little bit 
uh, to kind of go back on your point, to get McAllister that bit deeper, pulling the strings, playing those through balls and trying to create, looking for Darwin to make his runs, looking for Nunes to make those runs. That's what I would have liked to see. And I think that McAllister can do that from deeper. I, I do like him as an attacking player, but like you said, that game very much passed him by, certainly in that first half with, with so few touches. So let's let's move on to the goalkeeping situation then and talk about... Uh, Keevan Kelleher, because I think I thought he had an excellent game. I really did. There's been a lot of a lot of talk about him, a lot certainly with this Carabao Cup final coming up. And I mean, there's no doubt about it. Klopp's already said it. He'll 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 play. You know, what I mean, it's his competition. So, and Klopp, we we as fans can say we want Allison to play all we like, but Klopp's the one that's got to face these guys in training every day, and he will have made promises to these guys at the start of the season. So, and we all know he's a very honourable, a very loyal man. And there's no doubt about it for me. Kelleher plays that, and it was good to see him get a game if there is a downside to Allison's injury. Good to see him get a game before that final to get a better rhythm because in all likelihood, Allison's only out with a flu. He should be back for Brentford. But just a, just a nod to, to Kelleher's performance. I thought he made a couple of excellent saves. Yeah, really, really good. I mean, that's that's it. In those situations when they when they get into to one on one situations, you're thinking, oh goodness me, I wish Allison was there right now. And then, you know, but at the end, of the, he's pulling out sort of similar Allison like saves, isn't he? In those situations, big saves in big moments, and you know, if, if Burnley score in the moments when they get those chances, there's there's one at nil nil that you know could completely change the flow of the game as well. And and obviously the Fafana chances in the second half, obviously one of the one of them he puts wide, but one that he, he it's a big save from Kelleher. And, and, and as I say, very similar to the sort of contributions we got used to from Allison so far this season. So, yeah, did did a really, really good job coming in. And I think just to touch on what you said there about the the League Cup final, you're absolutely right there about you know the, the talk about him coming out for the League Cup final. I I, I don't understand it. I mean, I, I know there have been times this season where he's looked a little rusty. You're going to get that from your second choice goalkeeper. They they're not in a rhythm all the time, so sometimes they're not going to look at their absolute best, but. As you say, the manager makes promises at the start of the season, and you know you, you trust that your players having you comes on the basis of do you keep your promises as a manager? And Jurgen Klopp consistently does that, so he has to start Kelleher in that game. And also, the the kind of worry about the idea that he's going to be in there and maybe he's going to mess it up. It's like th- this is a player who's already won the League Cup for Liverpool. He scored the winning penalty in the League Cup final, so. Yeah, you know, I'll never really understand why why people are so concerned about him. And I thought he showed again in this game that he's a, he's a quality backup goalkeeper. And, and and Jurgen Klopp's called him, hasn't he, before the the best number two in in world football. And I, you know, he certainly looked it in this game. Two two massive saves in big moments that the ultimate massive hand in Liverpool winning the game. Let's finish uh, talking about uh, the game, the two points, and let's talk about the forwards. All three of them were on the score sheet. All three of them had headers, which I saw a stat hasn't happened for about 50 years or something. It's, uh, what, what are your thoughts on the form of the forwards? I, I do a little video on TikTok before the game predicting a lineup, and I'm never quite sure where to place these three guys. I know I always guess it's going to be those three, but I can never tell you who's starting left, who's t- starting right, and who's going down the middle. I mean, Gakpo very much fourth in the pecking order, you would think, right now. So, what? What do you think about these forwards and their synergy? I mean, we know Mo Salah is going to be back very soon, but what, it's a, what, what do you think of their best positions along that along that forward line? I th- I, well, I, th- I think other than Nunes through the middle, it's sort of kind of difficult to say. And I think I think that has benefits in terms of that they can rotate throughout games, and we do see that so often. You know, Nunes will run the channels willingly all the time, and then the the other two will will try and get themselves in central positions to to score goals, and they invariably do that. But I think. There are some downsides as well. I think with this mix, because it's kind of not natural a lot of the time and because there is that mix up quite constantly, I do think it can get a little bit scruffy at times in terms of 
I don't know. I just feel like it's when it's more settled and, and you have Salah on the right hand side, and he absolutely knows his role. And then, you know, Jotaro Diaz on the left and then Nunez through the middle. It, it just feels more settled in build up, whereas sometimes it kind of, I, I, and I felt you saw this through the game because it, it was a low pass completions from all three of them. They, they weren't really sort of keeping the ball very well. It kind of feels like, okay, fire it up to them and see, and, and maybe they can make some magic happen rather than sort of really settle patterns of build up. It, it, it just felt a little bit scruffy. But at the end of the day, you know, you can't be too critical of performance when all three of the, the forwards score and, 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 and they all take really high levels of shots. Actually, I think they're all five or six shots each, which is, yeah. you know, it's incredible numbers really for, for all three forwards to hit that in a game. So, um, like I say, maybe being overly critical in that it doesn't look the neatest at times, but ultimately they had a job to do, didn't they, in this period? And, and that was Gakpo included in that, was to get Liverpool through a period where they're missing arguably the best forward in the Premier League and Mohamed Salah, and they've absolutely done that. And that, that really sort of summed it up that all three of them scored um, in, in a 3-1 win you know yesterday that they've, they've absolutely stepped up to the plate massively in this period and, and Liverpool haven't haven't missed a beat once have they so but just that, that one Arsenal defeat so yeah they've, they've done an incredible job and even if it didn't look perfect at times they, they, they got the goals that, that mattered against Burnley Yeah fair play the uh, the plot on the copybook, if there was one, was uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold going uh, off at half time with an injury, which Jurgen Klopp later con- confirmed was a bit of concern about the, the same knee that he's been uh, he's been out with that ligament damage on. Uh, have you have you heard any more on that since the game, or is it very much is he likely to be getting another scan? A, a Liverpool concern for the long term, or is it likely just a pure precaution and he should be back in training as soon as as soon as the team are back training? Yeah, nothing kind of new on this yet. I mean, I've absolutely no doubt they've undergone a, a scan on that yesterday and then Liverpool will, will probably have the results now and have an idea what it looks like. You, you only hope that it, it was precautionary. I think Trent said himself that he could have carried on. So, you know, he obviously didn't feel too bad, but that that's not always an indication. I mean, he, he finished that Arsenal game, didn't he? And then gets a scan and in the end, it, it looks like a bit of a mess and, and he has to have a few weeks off. So... You know, it's it's really difficult to say which way this one's going to go. You know, fingers crossed there's nothing there and he just feels a bit of discomfort and uh, and he's okay because I think you saw, he, you know, wasn't perfect in that first half, but I think he looked a lot more on it than he did against Arsenal and, and some of his creativity and some of those passes in behind. You could see the, the quality and, you know, you just have to remember how, how well he was playing before he got that injury as well. He's, a, you know, he's a, a massive miss as good as Connor Bradley's been. So, you know, hopefully nothing too serious to that. But I, I, I imagine we won't probably hear anything on that until, until Jurgen Klopp's press conference, uh, you know, before the weekend. So, Fingers crossed it's good news. Uh, uh, we, we, we'd like to avoid another injury because Liverpool have got a few absences at the moment. Yeah, that's a nice pivot to where we're going next. Uh, the uh, the injury situation, it, it, and Klopp said a couple of times, we get one back, we lose one, we get one back. It seems like perhaps, I don't know if this is fair to say, but have they rushed a couple of these guys back a bit sooner due to the absentees that they've had in other areas with Endo away, with Salah away? We saw Zabozlai come back and reoccur. We saw Thiago come back, a different injury for Thiago, but very quickly, uh, very quickly, a hamstring injury occurs for him. We see hamstrings all the time. Salah's got one just now uh, on his way back from that. Zabozlai's hamstring, Trent's Trent's knee, obviously, it was concerns it was going to be hamstring. And obviously there's this flu as well. So, uh, in the in the last press conference, he mentioned Salah, he mentioned Thiago, he mentioned Allison, he mentioned Zavoslai, and Gomez obviously missing as well. Are you any further updates on these guys? Are, are we expecting some of them to be short term? Who's going to be long term? And and of course that Basetic one as well. We just hear nothing on that one. 
Yeah, so Salah, Salah. I mean, Jurgen said himself that he, he said that there's every chance he's back for the next game. I, I would think that would be bench. Uh, you know, if he can appear off a bench against Brentford, that would be great to get him back there. Um, so I think that's the expectation at the moment. I mean, he, he he will obviously push himself to be on there. I mean, kind of in terms of you know, are they pushing the players too early? I think you know, it gives you an insight there that that Jurgen said. You know, we've got to almost hold Salah back a little bit. He wants to get back in, so they are, they are extremely careful around around these sorts of injuries. I mean, Thiago, you have to say with that one. These are the things that happen when you come back from a lengthy, you know, and a lengthy absence. You, you, your muscles will pull. You, you will end up getting these muscles injuries. We, we see it when people come back from ACLs that they all of a sudden they'll they'll pull a muscle when they haven't been back long because they just don't have that built up fitness, and that doesn't happen. I mean, Sobers lie again. You know, that one they will probably look at that one and, and think, you know, did we push him too soon? Did he come back too soon? But again. You know, they've repeatedly said this in press conferences. I remember Pep Linder saying it actually earlier this season that they always like to get them back to sort of, okay, where you, most clubs would say, yes, he's ready to come back from a hamstring injury and then give them an extra week to sort of settle it down and, and make sure that they're right. So they are extremely cautious around these things, but you can you can get unlucky. And, and Soberslai is a good example of someone who's, he's adapting, isn't he, to a new style of football, a new league. He's still very young as well. Uh, you know, is all that just slightly catching up with him at this point in the season? He did look a little bit tired before he got that first injury as well. So maybe it's just the the physical consequences of that kind of catching up with him. But you know, we just hope that that's not going to be too too long. One, he, he he was he was back running on the grass actually already last week, so can't be a million miles away. So it, it's just a it's just a, a pain, and you have to wait and see how they, they they shake out. But the hope is that for the next game against Brentford, you're looking at Salah being back in the squad. Hopefully, Allison is just the illness and he, he he's straight back. Gomez again should be should be fully fit and back in for that one. And Sobers life not for this one. Then hopefully the game after that. So. You know, things are really starting to clear up a little bit and it's looking a little bit better. It's a shame about Thiago, but, you know, he's barely featured this season and you probably got to just take that one on the chin. But the hope is that it's going to clear up a lot before the next game and, and you know, you get Canate back from suspension as well. So it's going to start looking a bit brighter. They just need to not be picking up any more injuries and hopefully get a little bit of luck with this Trent scan and, and things like that. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. You do feel that this week is probably one of the last weeks. I haven't looked at the fixtures, but I think it's one of the last weeks where we don't have a midweek game. So, I mean, you can see that Klopp will see that as a bit of a blessing when it comes to when it comes to getting these guys fit and on the field again. And it gives them that week of training. And I do think that with Brentford, it's something we missed out on, I think, with that Arsenal loss last week is Arsenal had all of that time to prepare for that Liverpool game, whereas Liverpool had that Chelsea game sandwiched in. And now we have it where Liverpool against Brentford, who we've seen 
Brentford have exploited Liverpool quite badly before with their set pieces, with the way that they 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 pl- they seem to plan well to play against Liverpool. They seem well set up for it. We've not won at that stadium since uh, since Brentford returned to the Premier League. So it's one of those you can see that Klopp will appreciate that little bit of training time that he might get this week ahead of that one. Yeah, absolutely, and that's it. Is is really analysing the set pieces, looking at the the, the physical prep that the Brentford have got. It's a game that you do need to really prep for because it's kind of similar to to what Burnley were back up, you know, under Sean Dyche in terms of it's it's almost a it's a totally different sport almost that you're preparing for. Certainly on the defensive side of things, you've really got to be prepared for for you know where they're gonna put the ball, how how they work the set pieces and, and the fact that you you know you're basically in a wrestling match for fifty percent of it and then you earn the right to to play your football. So I'm sure he will be absolutely delighted about the fact that he has got that preparation time and he can really drill into the players what they need to be prepared for because you know, like you say, they've got a poor record at Brentford since they came up and, and, and they've, they've just won the last game. They've ended a bit of a losing run. So confidence might be back up. They've got Ivan Tony back. He's a, a real goal threat. So it's, you know, it's a really, really tricky one, isn't it? So they, they're going to need to be at the best. And in terms of the team, I mean, you mentioned earlier, you'd like to see Harvey Elliott come in for the Burnley game. Now you've just mentioned that the Brentford one can be a bit of wrestling, can be a bit physical. Yeah. It doesn't have all the hallmarks of a Harvey Elliott game. So, so let's assume the players you just mentioned with the injuries do return to fitness, the, the colds and the flus all end. Uh, what would you foresee being a, a Liverpool lineup for, for, for this Brentford game? Because I, I mean, it's a completely different game to the one that they've just played. So how do you, how do you match their physicality, their endurance and, and, and these set pieces? I mean, thank God Canati's coming back and nothing against Kwanzaa at all, but you just want that presence in the air, that absolute dominating physical presence that Canati will bring. So what do you see Liverpool's lineup being for this Brentford game. Well, that's it. I, I, mean, I think there's absolutely no doubt that if Canate, well, we know Canate is going to be available, so he's he's absolutely straight back in there. He, he wins aerial duels at a, a ridiculous rate, doesn't he? So you know, similar to Van Dijk in that sense, you're going to absolutely need him in a game like this. And I think you know, regardless of the outcome of that Trent Alexander-Arnold scan. Is it a game where you squeeze Gomez in in some way, you know, whether that's at right back because Trent makes your mind yeah. up, or whether it's at left back because you know because Trent. Um, because Trent is is available and, and fit, and so you can just squeeze Robertson out the side. I think we're going to see Joe Gomez in the in the back line in in some capacity. And in midfield, as you say, you know, I think McAllister has to play Curtis Jones similar, but that that sort of num- that right sided number eight. <laughs> if you haven't got Sobers like, I think he's probably going to be Gravenberg. I think that's the reason he picked him at Arsenal. To be honest, yeah. ahead of Harvey Elliott, it was because of that set piece threat. I think he really. So wanted- you're saying, and you're saying, and you definitely wouldn't do because of the McAllister point you mentioned. You wouldn't do the Endo McAllister Jones again. I've, I mean, I, do you know what? It's it's actually that is maybe a consideration in terms of because Endo is quite good in the air. Actually, whether yeah. maybe that is something he'll go for. Yeah, I, 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 I can't of- see Endo. The reason I mentioned, that, I can't see Endo not starting that game. I just can't. Yeah. I just can't see it. It's a good point, actually, and, and probably one I didn't think about is that you know I, I'm I'm maybe too obsessed with getting McAllister back in the six. <laughs> Endo, maybe this is a good game for him, and maybe maybe that was part of the motivation actually for throwing him straight in against Burnley was to to get a bit of you know getting back into playing Liverpool football, getting him back into that sharpness of playing in this way, and and, and to have him in the side, and, and, and maybe so. And I suppose you know if you get McAllister in the team, but he's a bit further forward, then you you know you you still got this this height and this aerial ability behind that and, and that that gives you that protection when they're going long and, and, and from set pieces as well. So actually maybe that is a consideration. I mean, I don't always love it, as I say, with McAllister not being as involved, but I think, you know, if there are games where you want Endo in that role, he, he is great in the air. I think that yeah, you're probably right that this is this is one of them. And 
Yeah, I think the front line again probably picks itself, but you know, to have Mohamed Salah on the bench would be absolutely phenomenal. And you know, it'd be nice if Sobazai was there as a, as an option late in the game as well, because him as a change in terms of his pace and he also you don't lose anything in terms of height in your team for defending set pieces as well. Would be great to have him on the bench if he's anywhere close to available. So we still can't get Harvey Elliott in the team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's harsh, isn't it? <laughs> and we've made him the third substitute there as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's turn our attention away from Liverpool for a moment. Well, sort of Liverpool related. Now, I couldn't be bothered with the Newcastle Forest game, so I, like most people, I think, tuned into the uh, Leverkusen Dortmund game, and uh, Leverkusen gave them a proper game. They really did. And uh, sorry, not Dortmund, Munich. Uh, they gave uh, they gave them a game, and it's so Harry Kane and Spursy that Eric Dyer and Harry Kane are starting in a team that is probably going to end <laughs> a domination of uh, Bundesliga titles once they've arrived. I mean, you just can't make that up. But we're talking about Zabi Alonso, Zabi Alonso here, of course, and uh, there's been more reports over the weekend that. Uh, Liverpool are, Liverpool are making him the first target. They're very loose reports, but I know it's Fabrizio Romano came out with something last night on his uh, on his YouTube channel saying that Liverpool are very familiar with what's required uh, to attain Zabi Alonso from his uh, Leverkusen contract. There's been counter quotes from Leverkusen's sporting director basically saying that we fully expect him to stay another year after this. Are you able to shed any more light on what's going on with the managerial search and Zabi Alonso in particular? Yeah, I mean, I've no doubt that's true, that, that Liverpool know exactly what, what would be required to get him out of his contract. And I'm not surprised as well that Leverkusen are, are saying that he's going to stay for another year because I think they have to take that position at the moment. That decision won't have been made yet. But I think for Liverpool, in terms of getting a manager in, I expect the sporting director is something that they'll they'll you know sort out first. I'd I, I be very, very surprised if the manager is, is, decision is made before that. But I mean, there's there's no question whatsoever is that, that Xabi Alonso is going to be on that shortlist. I mean, you know, beyond the fact that he's, he's the man who looks like he could have a really good chance here of, of breaking, you know, Bayern Munich's hold on the Bundesliga, um, but it's the way he's doing it. You know, his team's metrics, sh- they show up so well in every single metric. His team is overachieving in terms of its budget as well. So he, he just ticks literally every box. And then that's before you even touch on the sort of emotional connection with Liverpool, the fact that all fans will be immediately on board with him and, and love him. And he's a great character, someone who's comfortable in working in a setup that Liverpool are trying to create, which is going to be sporting director over a manager and working in that sense. Because, you know, FSG, that is the idea is to, to really go back to that, even though they gave Klopp all this power. I think the next manager will have to work in a very different way. So... He just he just ticks a ridiculous amount of boxes. Plays really progressive, exciting football as well. Um, it, it, it's just he's he's the clear outstanding candidate uh, to, to to take on the role. And I, I just think there's no question that once Liverpool get the sporting direct sorted out, I'd be amazed if he's not the number one choice. Uh, it just he just ticks too many boxes, and um, I, but I just don't think that anything's going to happen soon because I think. You know, you can't approach Leverkusen at this point, um, you know, not just because Liverpool don't have a sporting director, but I think, you know, they won't want to be unfair on Leverkusen and try and start this move now and, and get ahead of that. You know, they've got a, a title charge to, to to concentrate on and they won't want to disrupt that. They've got to show, you know, got to do it in a respectful way. So I think it's, you know, I'd be wary of sort of looking at anything that says that Liverpool have set and settled on X, Y or Z. I don't think anything's happened like that or any firm moves. Uh, but yeah, he's the obvious candidate. There's, there's no doubt that he will be absolutely Absolutely, you know, right up there in the running. 
Yeah, people want more on the Alonso specifics, the tactics, the the technicalities of his game, some of the things David touched on there. There's an excellent podcast that actually came out on the channel yesterday that Dave Davis did before he left uh, with Dave Hendrick. And they, they talk about the differences between an Alonso system and an Al- a Klopp system. And that point David mentioned about the sporting director, Dave Hendrick made an excellent point on that, that Xabi Alonso, since he left Liverpool as a player, has pretty much been involved in a sporting director structure through his entire career. As soon as he left Liverpool as a player, so Real Madrid, Barcelona, back to, uh, sorry, not Real Madrid, uh, Bayern Munich, then uh, back to Real Sociedad as a, as, a, as a BT manager. And then obviously the, every step of that process that he's had has been in that structure. So that suits, I mean, that's that must be music to John Henry's ears that, you know what I mean, when he, when he hears that. Because you can tell, I don't know, we see it from the outside, you see it a little bit closer than us, but you can tell that that is very much the structure that FSG would want to work with you know what I mean and and there was that report that came out I don't know if it was you or one of your colleagues but there was a report that they had approached Michael Edwards obviously to come back which seemed very odd to me to, to that that one got out like two days after two days after what yeah. happened with Jurgen but it was it, it, it very much it didn't surprise me either because I think that that is the structure that they preferred well they'll, they'll never publicly admit that but that seemed very much like the data driven analytical structure the the money ball the, the the baseball type mentality that I think appeals to them and I, I think they probably reluctantly this is just pure speculation opinion I think they probably reluctantly agreed to give Jurgen Klopp that power because he had just done so well and this chance to evolve back to their model and drive forward again without this overarching manager with all this power I mean you look at the Ferguson and Wenger fallouts and what's happened to those two clubs on the back of those two guys having all that power that's where I think we have to take this Klopp news as a positive that the structural change back to where we were going is a positive and hopefully if it is Alonso then it's not going to be a case people think he'll come in and say right I want that player on that player other it doesn't work like that in this structure it's I want someone to play that position who has this characteristics and then the data driven team and the and their recruitment drive go and focus on that skill set and they discuss that with with the manager and bring that player in. I totally agree. I think I think it very much through gritted teeth the power that's, that's been given to Klopp uh, by FSG. I think they, they recognise that look, we've got a, a, a genius on board here who who you know we can indulge and there is actually value in indulging because I would say as much control as he's had in recent years and that's definitely stepped up over the last couple of years. Liverpool haven't really missed a beat, have they? In terms of you know, particularly this summer, this, this was a big summer, wasn't it? Coming into this one, and and he basically got everything right in terms of Liverpool are straight back on it. Every signing looks like it's been a success so far. I mean, a couple of question marks over Gravenberg, but he's a young player who we've already seen a lot of potential from. And so you know, it's there's value in indulging a manager like that. But I think, as you say. They're very much more comfortable in, in going with a different structure where it's sort of sport and director heading it up in terms of uh, strategy and, you know, going back to really, really focusing in on the data in terms of recruitment. So they're very much more comfortable with that and going back to that. And that and this is the this is the upside almost of Jurgen Lieben is gives them the opportunity to go back to that, the 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 area that they're more comfortable in. And and that's absolutely how it's going to be. And and that again is why Xabi Alonso looks a really good fit because he's he's used to working in that way and uh, not someone who's going to kick up a fuss with the sporting director if they don't agree over a player and and, and, and he doesn't get his way. I think it's just going to be a you know real collaborative process. And I think going back to that, it puts the club in general it's a positive that Jurgen Klopp's leaving, but I'm going to say that it puts the club on a steadier footing, doesn't it, to have that structure. And I think that is, if there's one one positive to come out of this, it's probably going to be going back to that. Yeah, we won't snip the bit where David Lynch says it's positive that Jurgen Klopp's leaving. <laughs> we'll leave that one alone. 
But but that takes me back to another podcast on the channel that I listened to. It's the Minefield podcast, which is done by Dr. Andrew Vincent, a sports psychologist who who did a podcast last week on Klopp leaving specifically. One of the points he made was that the question he was asked is, is it a positive? Is it the right time for, for Jurgen Klopp to believe in? And from a sports psychologist, absolutely yes, because he thinks that, because Jurgen thinks that. You know what I mean? Because Jurgen thinks it's the right time, it is entirely the right time. And it, it takes me back again to that Ferguson and Wenger thing. Ferguson had said he was going to leave. And then he stayed on. Now, now we can't write, rewrite history because he did win league titles after that. But the point was, it did very much seem a bit of an exercise in self-indulgence. And you see what happened after he did go. It was left in an absolute car crash. And with Wenger as well, all those years he had been there, he basically turned into a cup manager. He never had that success that he had in those early years with his first and second team. The third Arsenal team was never quite as good as that. And there would... Arsenal fan TV and the media channels and that would be calling for his head after every game. Now, that's not something that a Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool fans would never do that. But equally, it's not a situation that you ever want to see materialise with a legend like Jurgen Klopp. So perhaps we have to take off those glasses a little bit and just think to ourselves, So whilst we lionise managers in our club, we have these banners of all the greats, uh, we talk about them in glowing terms, that maybe the nine years and the fact that Jurgen Klopp has made this decision shows it is entirely the right decision. Yeah, he definitely looks as well. I mean, I might look absolutely stupid in a year's time when Liverpool are languishing in eighth and, uh, and out of every cup competition <laughs> and really struggling. But he looks like he's leaving a much better situation than either of those managers did as well. Uh, you know, like you say, Fergie dragged them over the line to that last title, but that wasn't a great side that he left. And Moyes found that out when he when he inherited it. And, and, and Wenger left after Arsenal had just finished fifth for the first time, you know, fallen out of the Champions League for the first time in, in, in years and years and years. So, you know, whatever happens here, we I think we're pretty much certain that Liverpool are going to qualify for the Champions League this season. They're going to be in a good position with a good squad, with a good mix of age profiles. It looks like a really cushy job to step into, which is a... Yeah, massive- I don't think anyone... I don't think anyone's... I don't think there's a job in world football that could be as appealing as this to a manager exactly. coming in. And, that, and that, that kind of is mad to say because... It's coming in after an unbelievable legend of the club and, and trying to step into his shoes, but it's he has left such a good situation or will leave such a good situation that it it, it does it feels less it feels less daunting than maybe succeeding Ferguson at Manchester United or, or Wenger at Arsenal certainly because he's you know he's leaving a really healthy squad situation and, and hopefully Liverpool will also have a, a really good impressive sporting structure as well in place then you know get the sporting director appointment right. Um, and it, you know, it can go back to to running how FSG wants it, and yeah, hopefully it's a, a really good situation for someone to step into. And I think, I think if you are Xabi Alonso or maybe you're Ruben Amarim or, or you know, Deserbi or whoever it ends up being, I think it, I, I still think it will be Alonso. But you know, to just mention a couple of candidates, whoever it will it is will feel that I think this is such a good opportunity to go into a club. It's not like joining Chelsea with all the money and, and thinking, oh well, I can spend on players, but it's. You're going into a club that is set up to succeed, that has got a good structure. It's stable. It's it's done well over recent years, and is and the owners work in a really smart way. I think it's just if you if you're going to make that step up at some point in your career, what a club to do it at because it's one of the the you know the the smartest football operations in in well in all of the sport. I would say. Now we're saying that one of the smartest football operations, that but let's uh let's live in purgatory for a moment and say that we're in the situation where. We don't have a sporting director confirmed. <laughs> we don't have a manager for next season confirmed. But there have been a couple of things that are broken in the media this weekend that I wanted to touch on with you and wonder if 
sort of a wider umbrella point, if you like, on how that lack of a structure may be affecting these things. The first I wanted to confirm you with you, ask you about was the, the contracts, obviously the three contracts to the major three players, Virgil van Dijk, Mohamed Salah, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Do you see that structure not being in place right now as a factor in the renewal of those three contracts? I mean, Liverpool are bound to be speaking to these uh, their agents and their representatives just now on these deals. I mean, I don't expect any of that has gone quiet, but who, who then makes these decisions? You know what I mean? If there's no one... Schmack has gone. You know what I mean? It's like Klopp's going. Who, who's, who's, who's in charge of this process? And can, can the fans, do you think, be assured that that is still work in progress, that no, no balls have been dropped there? Yeah, I think I think a lot of the control in these situations falls to Mike Gordon at the moment. I mean, he would always be heavily involved in signing off these decisions anyway. So, you know, th- these are the things that are on his desk. But I think with the Van Dyke and the Salah contracts, I would say they are less sort of consequences of the fact that there's no sporting director. I think those con- those contracts, because of the age of both the players, would have been left till later anyway, because you have big decisions to make. And it's, you know, the later you can leave it because of their age profile. And if you see any signs of decline whatsoever in the next sort of few months that that is worth factoring in it's worth talking about so because of the age of both of those i think that is why those would have been left late anyway the one concern i think is the is the, is the trent alexander arnold contract i think you know with a with a sporting director in now I think that would have been prioritised to, to be sorted before now or certainly before the end of the season. I mean, maybe there's a mindset at the moment that let's get the sporting director in, let's get to the end of the season and then we'll sort all that out. You know, maybe, maybe they're thinking in that way, but I think I think the Trent one, they definitely would have liked to have had that wrapped up earlier and that is maybe a consequence of that little bit of uncertainty that's there. Yeah, that's one that you just... I honestly thought, I mean, you started in this podcast last summer and I, and you were talking about this contract back then and you were very confident that something would happen, not not necessarily in terms of timing or in that summer, but you, I think you reassured the listeners a few times that there's really nothing to worry about here. This yeah, When this I, needs to be done, it'll be done. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. I still expect that it will be, by the way. I I don't feel that there's noises at the moment that that, that Trent's looking to leave or anything like that or or is is looking what's out there. And I think, you know, he's spoken himself, hasn't he, about about wanting to captain Liverpool to to he wants he wants that role eventually. He sees himself as a Liverpool player and 
Look again, you know, looking out there, you know, unless it was maybe Real Madrid who were coming for him, and, and maybe it could be at some point. I still think Liverpool is a it's a great place to be at the moment. As we said, you know, the, it, it's an exciting place to be still, even with Jurgen leaving. It's a, a side that you think is going to consistently challenge for trophies. So um, I don't think there'll be any desperation there to leave. And I do think it will get sorted, but it, it is a little bit of a concern that they've let it drag on this long. And I think that's that is number one priority ahead of Salah and, and Van Dijk for me that they they get that wrapped up as soon as possible and with the Salah and Van Dijk ones just to finish off on that do you think there's a situation where I mean we don't know because we're just speculating obviously because the structure's not yet in place but do you think that Liverpool would be in a catch-22 situation with those players going into the last year of their deals that it would be a case of having to either sell this summer or, or renew if there's nothing in place do you do you see any of those lads being let go into the final year of their contracts yeah, I can, I can absolutely see it with Salah. I think Van Dijk is one that, again, I think will probably get wrapped up this summer. I think he's happy. I think he wants to stay. He's, he's, he's comfortable at Liverpool. And I think Liverpool will see that the way he plays the position, you know, the, the experience, the intelligence he's got, he's not someone you can see a humongous drop off. And he'd still be an absolutely hugely valuable member of the squad for the next sort of two or three years. I don't think there's any question about that, even though he's sort of getting on a bit in, in sort of football terms. I still think there's a, there's a lot more years of him playing at the top level and he, he looks absolutely back to his best this season. So that that's sort of a, not really concerning. On Salah, I think the possibility for him to go into his last year exists just based on the basis that the player himself might want to keep his options open. I just think that 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 Saudi option doesn't look as appealing as it did maybe 12 months ago. So that that helps Liverpool hugely. But also, you might want to think, look, this could be last big contract. Do I want to go and get it elsewhere? Who else is interested in me? But again, I think both sides will be sort of willing maybe to run that into its last its last year and then, you know, maybe find a compromise there. So that that is the one of the three I could see sort of running into its its last year and and sort of playing a bit of chicken with each other really. So that that that'll be an interesting one to see how that pans out, but I, like I say I think I think the Saudi element, you know, I just can't see how, how Mo Salah is going to want to go there this summer. I, I just I really struggle to see it because I just think he, he's been so good this season. He's, he, he is, like I say, I think the best player in the Premier League at the moment. Why why would you want to go to that league at this moment in time? He's, he's got so many more, more years at the top level left. So that, that helps Liverpool's case. I think if Liverpool hadn't bounced back this season, I think then he would have had a bigger case for not necessarily Saudi, but just a case to go and try something different. You know what I mean? But we know he's so driven by these records, by 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 his legacy, if you like, and what he's going to leave behind. I, I honestly can't see him him leaving the summer. I just can't. I, I think he either does what you said and goes into the last year of his contract, keeping his options. We saw all that stuff about Harvard Business School and uh, the agent put out and the, the planning that went into that previous deal. You know what I mean? I, I think it's going to be very difficult for Liverpool going into these negotiations I'm not sure quite where they go or where they pitch this to him because he's going to say I'm gonna, there's going to be no drop off I'm still going to be doing this when I'm 38, 39 well, you know what I mean and it's, it was talk. it's a very difficult very difficult negotiation Well there was talk around the last one that it was actually quite attritional in terms of the negotiations and it was really really difficult and I think it'll be even worse this time because again Liverpool have got the case to go to him and say at some point, you are going to decline. It, it, it's going to happen. You know, we have to factor this into our contract at some point that you are going to decline. You know, last time you were basically given a, a, a contract to one of the top five players in the world and knowing that he's probably going to be able to perform at that level over that contract. But the next one, there's so much less certainty on Liverpool's side about that. Um, and, and that makes it a really difficult one because Salah's going to believe himself that 
you know, I can still perform at this level for a few years to come. So I think that, that is a, that, that more than either the other two, it, it's the most difficult contract negotiation for that reason. That's why I think it will run into the last year. But I think, yeah, I don't, I, I, I agree in terms of, I think the, 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 the likelihood of running into the, the last year is so much more higher than in, in maybe leaving this summer. And um, so, so I, I, yeah, I expect it, he'll still be around, but it, it, that contract situation is really difficult one to call more difficult than the other two. Yeah, I think uh, we should all brace ourselves for some uh, Rami Abbas cryptic uh, emoji tweets over the next yeah. uh, over the next few months. Uh, just one other point on the structure and the fact that there have been links to some players. There's always links to players uh, when it comes to Liverpool. Now, one of the names uh, that's doing the rounds at the moment is uh, Martin Zubamendi of Real Sociedad. Obviously, a defensive midfielder. Now, no matter what, in terms of profile, we know Liverpool were interested in a defensive midfielder last uh, last summer. They made that massive bid for Moises Caicedo. They also made a big bid for Romeo Lavia. They ended up with Wataru Endu. Do you see any substance to these links? Uh, to, 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 I can understand them looking at young players. I can totally get that. You know what I mean? It's like that they should always be doing that. And that shouldn't really affect the sporting structure too much. That's more a scouting job over to Mike Gordon. Let's bring the young kids in and let's keep keep plowing away at the academy. But in terms of senior players, when you've no manager, when you've no sporting director, can you see anything in these links to players like Zubamendi? I think there's something in it in the sense that Liverpool scouts and, and the data people will be highlighting these players that they should be looking at and they will be looking at them sending scouts to games. So, you know, for example, I, I wrote about Diamande as sporting as, as someone that Liverpool are looking at at the moment, but that is, you know, that's such a long way from, from our going to sign. You know, there's a few players that Liverpool are looking at because... Okay, if the new manager comes in and he says we need centre half, or because I want to play a back three, or, or or you know he comes in and says we need a defensive midfielder, I want someone of this profile, they'll be coming up with all different profiles, having a really close look at them, so that they can immediately pull the trigger when it comes to the point at which you know they know what they're going to go for. Um, but at the moment, absolutely, yeah, I wouldn't get excited or too excited about any links because it, it is until there's a sporting director there and a, and a manager. Then, you know, I think very much in the monitoring phase of things at the moment. Um, but I, I also think that's why they'll sort of want to get get moving with with getting a sporting director in as well because we're kind of you know we're fast approach approaching the months where. If you are going to sign someone in the summer, you need to start doing your homework in in sort of March. You need to start getting into the the agents and and, and laying the groundwork for that because you, you've seen that the, the consequences of not doing your groundwork. I mean, Moises Caicedo, Liverpool basically ceased contact with him up until literally a couple of weeks before they tried they threw that bid in, and that was ultimately why he ended up at Chelsea because he'd made promises to them. Chelsea never stopped getting into his agent, and Liverpool did. Um, and they paid the price for that in the end. So it just shows you that build-up. You've got to keep those relations sweet. You've got to keep being with players. And, and so the, the, the sooner they can sort out the sporting directs thing, the better because they need to, if, if there are going to be positions they want to strengthen over the summer, then they're going to have to get into the players now and, and make sure they can you know, make promises and, 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 and get into them and make sure that the rivals aren't going in for players that they want. Yeah, and then be ready to pull that trigger when the opportunity arises, I guess. it's, it's We just see the the sort of last few weeks of these things normally break out in the press, but let's not, let's not pretend they're not all going on behind the scenes uh, from, from very early. So we'll finish with some questions from our Anfield Index Pro subscribers. Now I'm looking at the questions uh, I've been given here. <laughs> We've kind of touched on all three of them <laughs> during the, during the podcast, but we'll try and be as direct as we can with them and see if you, if we can put a different twist on it. So the first one is uh, what's your overriding feeling of Thiago's time at Liverpool and uh, where, where do you think his legacy is left with the latest news? 
Yeah, I mean, a, a tough one, really. I think you know, if he if he could have come back in this season and played a you know played a bit part role in sort of getting Liverpool over the line, I thought he would have been so handy in terms of you know seeing out games and 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 coming in in that rotation in in, in the cups and keeping Liverpool on you know fighting on four fronts. But it looks like you know you know severe-ish muscle injury he's not maybe going to end his season but he's going to really hamper his ability to play much of a part which is just devastating really and I think in terms of his overall legacy I, I don't think you can look away from how good he was in that that near quadruple season and if Liverpool had got over the line in the big ones you know Premier League and the Champions League you'd be looking at him and saying well he was well worth it you know the fact that he come away with just 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 the FA Cup and the League Cup it may be you know it doesn't feel like his legacy is, is humongous, does it? But he but he's been an absolute joy to watch. But but I think you would say in terms of if Liverpool were to look back and assess that sign and they'd say that the, the gamble didn't massively pay off because he didn't win the big honours with him here or, or or he certainly, you know, even if they do this season, he won't have played a, a big part in it. So I think they would say that the gamble didn't come off. And I think he's an interesting one, Thiago, as well, because it was very much that's a bit of a Jurgen power signing for me. That that was when his his power started. That was grow. where the seesaw started to swing, wasn't it? Absolutely, like absolutely. Because that was a, a scratch that he he wanted a, an itch that he wanted to scratch really, and, and he wanted to work with this player. And I, I think the injury record and his availability didn't. It had you know, it's not a big shock, is it? This is the record he's had for a long time now, and and had it at Bayern Munich. So you know, Liverpool knew that this this was a possibility and and so that gamble hasn't quite worked out and, and maybe that you know that fracture that we've seen between you know the the, the analytics driven signings and, and and the manager having power I think Thiago maybe underlines a little bit of that and and was a gamble from his side that that absolutely didn't come off and a signing that maybe the type of signing we maybe won't see from Liverpool going forward if they do get that structure in place. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember at the time hearing the news, uh, I think we didn't get that one long before it actually broke, maybe just 48 hours or something. And it was uh, it was very much a really, you know what I mean? Really, is that the one that, uh, is that the one that, I mean, there was talk, I think, uh, Paul Gorse from the uh, Liverpool Echo, one of your former employers, I think that he came out with it was rooted in fantasy, obviously just a, a couple of days before it actually happened. And I mean, I know he's ridiculed for that now, but it did feel that way. You know what I mean? It, it did feel that this is, not so much the fantasy that Liverpool are going to sign this brilliant midfielder, more the fact that it just didn't tick the boxes of what Liverpool had been doing. You know what I mean? They were signing Ginny Wijnaldum, who'd just be re- been relegated from Newcastle. The Andy Robertson, you know what I mean? They they weren't... Even Diogo Jota, which happened uh, around the same time, that very much seemed like a systemic signing, whereas the Thiago one was more that itch scratcher that, that you mentioned. It just didn't tick the boxes that we'd become familiar with with Liverpool at the time. And it did, does seem to have been the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of the, the fracture that then appeared between the recruitment side and the manager. Yeah, very much so. And I, and that's it. It, it, it. I think even at the time, I didn't kind of believe it. I, I think I wrote when, when the link sort of appeared, I, I think I wrote something along the lines of, you know, it doesn't seem like a very Liverpool signing, but we'll we'll sort of see whether Jurgen Klopp gets his way. You know, and and that that is sort of what it was. It was that that you know the manager using his power to to get this player over the line on the basis of the you know everything he'd achieved. And you know, we we, we can focus on the downsides, and there, there are a few. And I, I, like I say, I think it's a gamble they didn't pay off. But there have been the real bit. There have been some upsides. I mean, I've really enjoyed watching him. Uh, he's a wonderful footballer, but but yeah, not not the type of signing I expect going forward. So I think you know if you see a link like that, so a, a Joshua Kimmich, for example, uh, I, I, you know he, he's one who's being linked to the moment. Sort of a, 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 an aging Bayern mid, uh, Bayern Munich midfielder might come in. 
I don't, I just don't see a lot of truth in that one. And, and that's, you know, we I think we can rule those, those out with a bit more confidence now because the, the manager will have less power in terms of signings. Yeah. I get Schweinsteiger vibes with that one, really. Yes, <laughs> really very much so, very much so. <laughs> now, the next question was, uh, was again, a point we touched on uh, earlier in the podcast, but we never really we never really dove in any deeper when we were discussing the injuries. It's uh, re- regarding Stefan Bacetic and uh, his injury. And he says, D- does he ever get mentioned? That's the question. Is, is there any talk at all about what's wrong with this player when we might see this player back? I mean, the last thing I saw was him walking into the AXA with big baggy clothes on in some pictures. And it was, you were none the wiser what was going on with him. When we hear absolutely, Absolutely nothing. Yeah. So in terms of what the injury is, it's, it's always categorised to me sort of as uh, sort of similar growing pains to what a few of the young players in the squad have had, and, and, and Liverpool just pull them out of training whenever that happens because if you push them too hard in those moments, it can make basically worse than the injury and, and cause them real, real problems going forward in the career. So Liverpool are really, really careful around that, and, and, they're, and they're doing that with Bajcetic. In terms of updates, I think you know the last I sort of heard was he was he was aiming to get back in February, and, and we're still in February. So you know maybe we'll suddenly appear in, in training one day. Would you know would love to see him get back because he's a a really big talent. But I, I've got a slight worry that it, it's sort of quieting down around him in terms of a potential comeback. Um, Bobby Clark being kept behind from from going on loan sort of just gives me a sniff that maybe there's a thought here that Bajcetic isn't going to be back and that there's going to be some midfield minutes there for Bobby Clark. So, um, you know, it's maybe one that's worth asking J- uh, Jürgen about the next press conference. Maybe I'll, I'll probably put pencil that one in to ask him on Friday and, and see if there's any update because, yeah, it's been a while since we've heard anything and, you know, I'm getting a little bit worried about that potential February comeback. It's, it's not looking like he's close at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, the Bobby Clark point's an excellent one because obviously he did have the chance, as we heard, to go out on loan in January and they didn't take that opportunity. And uh, so, it, I mean, it, I, I very much got the same feeling as you that we won't be seeing that ladder until next season. <laughs> it's just for you. It just has that aura around the whole thing. So the final one that we got in was, uh, again, we've kind of touched on some of this, but let's uh, let's ask it as a direct question and see and see where you go with it. So what what's the potential timeline, do you think, where we'll start to hear developments over the sporting director and head coach now? Now, we know you've already said you expect one to happen before the other. Uh, but we, again, you mentioned those discussions with players, with recruitment should be starting around March time, which is only three weeks away. Let's not forget February is such a, small, a short month. So when do you think we'll hear anything about a sporting director? Do you think a sporting director's work could potentially be going on without us knowing? Or do you think that it's very much something that the club will have to do before this person goes and starts making communications with, with, with third parties? I, th- I mean... I think with the head coach, I just I just talk about a timeline for that. Is that as as you say, I think it's going to be after the sporting director, and, and because I think it's going to be someone like Alonso, I think it. I, I, I hope and think it will be Alonso. Uh, is that you know, that's going to have to wait till the summer? So in terms of timeline, I don't think we're going to hear much on that in terms of until we get to the end of the season, uh, and then the sporting director. It, it has to start happening soon for me. As as I said, I think you know. It's one of those where they have to start that work soon. I mean, one potential complication to that is the fact that if it's someone who's already in a job and there's a period of gardening leave they have to serve or anything like that, that we don't know exactly who they're going to go for. But I think, you know, in terms of developments, I think you know these sort of things they can happen quite suddenly, and and the wheels start turning. A name will drop in. I imagine it will probably be David Ornstein will probably drop the name in <laughs> because he's just ridiculous for getting news at the moment, but. 
you know, I, I, I don't get too concerned about these things on the basis that they, they, they come from nowhere and then all of a sudden you, it takes a week and it's wrapped up and, and someone's announced. So, um, it, you know, I, but but I would like to hear that it's something sort of coming out soon. And I know there's a few names that are being considered and, I, you know, Tim Stiton's an interesting one for me in terms of, I think, you know, they, they definitely liked him in the past, definitely had conversations with him last summer you know, maybe that's one they return to because I think there's a, a few rumblings and disagreements at West Ham as well and, and, and all's not maybe right there in terms of the relationship between manager and, and sporting director. So be interesting to see who it is. But I, but I think, it, like I say, I, I think it will just happen very fast out of out of nowhere because that's how, how things turn, tend to happen around Liverpool news is that things get very, very close and then so and then it's then it just about starts to sneak out. So, uh, but hope, hopefully soon because it, it, it needs to be in terms of the timeline for, for sorting everything else. Got a lot of work to do this summer. Yeah, that's that, that's absolutely the case. And Tim Steinden might be having to find a new manager for West Ham this week yeah. so, after after the way things are going down there. So we'll see what we'll see what happens there. So that's it. That's all we have, folks. Uh, thanks for joining us. We've been right round the houses there. We've kept David very busy. And unless David Ornstein's available, he'll be back with with uh, Dave Davis next week. <laughs> so so, uh, so thanks for listening to Media Matters, and thank you, David. No, thank you very much for having me. And, and I thought you did a great job there stepping in for Dave. Well done. Oh, thanks. I might consider it as a as, as a temporary comeback. <laughs> I've to. I'm back with Ben Boxack tomorrow uh, for, for for Dave as well. So I'll uh, I'll have two in two days, and then I might get another two years off. We'll just deal in. We'll just deal in twos. <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone. Till next time, up the Reds. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, We'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.